From Fitbit to Chromecast to online gaming, what fascinates you the most about the innovations you've worked on? It's the impact on users. Technology, when it is done good, it helps us become superhuman. It helps us overcome some of the challenges that we face in our uh, daily life. And this is where I see like computers and technologies are really driving us uh, as human uh, forward. This is Where the Internet Lives, a show about the unseen world of data centers and the people who keep them running. I'm Stephanie Wong, and I'm your guide through the physical spaces that make up the internet. This season, we're exploring those spaces alongside the folks who actually design, build, and operate them. People like Majd Bakar. Majd is VP of Engineering at Google Health and Fitbit. I run the engineering team that's responsible for delivering the Fitbit devices, all the software that runs on them, as well as the Fitbit app, that is the experience that our users engage with to get their daily readiness, their health scores, and uh, how many steps they, they walked over the day. Maj makes technical decisions about how to improve the device, the app, and the supporting infrastructure. What technology stack, what design approach we use, what are the material that we need to use for our devices, what would be the, for example, the battery life that we need to uh, achieve and and how we can achieve that by optimizing either the hardware design or the software design. Over the years, Majd has overseen some very important consumer tech advancements inside Google. Chromecast, Google TV, Google Wi-Fi, and the cloud gaming platform Stadia. All of them are directly linked to the growth of data centers. Long before working on those innovations, Majd grew up in Aleppo, Syria. I was, from early age, I was very, very much interested in math and science. And I was really a true nerd <laughs> in, in, in the definition of the word, where I was really excited when I see hard uh, math problem, and I always wanted to work on that. Majd first saw a computer in his early teens at school. It took him some time to grasp how it worked. Honestly, I thought the computer was really the screen, not the computer that is under the desk. I, I didn't even understand how you can use the keyboard. He quickly learned how to draw pictures, but then his nerdy instincts kicked in. He imagined what else was possible. Okay, that's cool. I can now draw a uh, the Mona Lisa using ASCII characters, so basically the, the letters that you have. Uh, and that was interesting, but I didn't see, like, okay, what can we use it for and how we can leverage it to um, where, where it is now. That was when Majd turned to math. As he got more comfortable with the computer, he started solving increasingly complex math problems. It's like, okay, that allow us to do some calculation that we usually, it would take us hours or minutes to do, and it can do it in seconds. Can you imagine if we can use this calculation to, to help drive some hard problem that we face on a, on a day-to-day basis? The really hard stuff came in college. Majd took his love for math and science to McGill University in Montreal. He studied electrical engineering as an undergrad, followed by a master's in biomedical engineering. During an internship, Majd helped develop an MRI simulation program for medical students. It would set him on a path to developing technologies in service of people. I was in neurosurgery, which basically how can computer-aided imaging and computer-aided surgery help a, a neurosurgeon reduce the risk of either bleeding or uh, uh, taking away a portion of the brain that is not a tumor. So we were basically giving the tools to make those surgeons super surgeons and they can have more confidence in their work. And then from there, I really enjoyed this, like the idea of using technology to help in 
the health of individual. After university, Majd worked for a telecommunications company in Montreal. It was late 90s, and the tech boom in Silicon Valley was in full swing, and he wanted to be closer to the action. Basically, in Montreal, we heard about this that calm boom in Silicon Valley, and it was like, okay, let's go and explore it. And uh, my wife and I were young. We, we said, okay, uh, there's nothing here to lose. Let's let's see what, how it looks like to, uh, to be in Silicon Valley in the middle of that. We'll try it for two years, and uh, we'll see. If it doesn't work, we'll come back. And here we are now for, uh, I think, 22 or 23 years later, uh, still in Silicon Valley. So this is the late 90s, and you took a job as a lead software engineer at a company integrating televisions and the internet. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I joined I joined the company, and their uh, focus on how can we help young people and elderly who are not maybe technologically savvy and are not very comfortable using a computer, how can we help them access the internet? They started in 95, like during really the, the height of the dot-com, and their idea was, is let's put a browser on your TV screen and help you get access to that. The idea was prescient, but the hardware and supporting internet infrastructure wasn't ready. We had to create everything ourselves, and it was all custom-made, so of course it becomes very expensive, and the interoperability was really a nightmare. Uh, And this is basically why eventually web TV did not continue uh, to grow, because for every website that you create, uh, you needed to have a translation layer to the way it will display on the TV, and that basically was not sustainable. That definitely uh, played against us. And then having to build uh, specialized hardware makes it very expensive. As the technology improved and internet speeds improved, Majd continued his work behind the scenes. He focused on a service that let users access and record live TV along with other web services. His team was able to build a tiered subscription service with almost no delay years before other live TV and streaming services would take off. Majd's work was noticed. After nearly a decade working on content delivery networks, he took a job at Google to build an entertainment product. And they were having like users uh, uh, growth and usage that is really substantial. I was like looking, okay, what would be the right experience for the living room and for people experiencing their TV entertainment, whether it is on demand or uh, live TV. And I was looking, okay, what were some of the challenges? The idea was simple. Instead of relying on a separate set top box to access all streaming services, the smartphone would be the hub. But the execution was tough. Nobody knew how a tiny internet-connected device would work behind the signal-blocking metal of a TV and media center. And this makes it a challenge because when you have a small device, it means the antenna for the Wi-Fi is small and constrained. When you have it behind the TV, the TV has a lot of metal and uh, the screen, it acts like what we call a Faraday cage, which means it dampens the Wi-Fi signal. Uh, we had some people inside of Google saying, this is impossible. You're not going to be able to achieve this quality. But the engineering team, I mean, honestly, it's an amazing engineering team. And they built a device. I mean, honestly, we don't have an issue with the quality of the streaming. In 2013, Google Chromecast was born. It was the company's first at-scale hardware product. And it was a success, thanks to the rise in smartphones and the dramatic expansion of data centers to handle streaming. How does it feel to see it be so pervasive and standard across the world around you? Very proud uh, and um, excited because I I use it a lot. So building something that I am using, my family uses, my friend uses on a daily basis is, is very humbling. 
Some of the design innovations for Chromecast went into Google Nest Wi-Fi. Modj oversaw those efforts too. And then Modj turned his attention to gaming. Why not leverage the strengths of the Google data center where we run all the games in the Google data center and then transform these games into video streams that are very low latency and deliver them to Chromecast at the highest quality. Let the Chromecast be just a, what, what it, it does best is decode video and, and audio and be able to capture that signal, send it back to the data center. But all the game logic, all the game complexity, all the graphic capabilities are in our data centers. That's the idea behind Stadia, Google's cloud gaming platform. The millions of servers running in warehouses all around the world add up to a powerful cloud-based platform, enabling users to play video games instantly without needing to purchase additional hardware. And this is where we've put the design of Stadia on top of that very low latency, very effective design of the data center. So we ran the Stadia machines and the Stadia games in the Google data centers, and we scaled them. They can scale easily. When you are in the data center, you are not really limited by the physical constraint of what machine you are running on. If you need more compute or if you need more graphics or if you need more memory or more storage, you can get that dynamically. And that helps us in building very compelling games. This reminds me of how you were talking about trying to build an internet-based television service and not having the capabilities to support that vision. Now we're at an inflection point where we have hyperscale data centers and technology that's mature enough to support this at a completely different scale. Absolutely. The concept of, of data centers came along in the last 20 years in, in a big way. It's, it's a huge, huge leap that we, we have. And particularly this elastic compute and elasticity of the data center is really key. It allows us to, to build applications and build services that can scale beyond our imagination. Today, Majd is utilizing his design expertise and his background in biomedical engineering to focus on personal health at Fitbit. And data centers are more important than ever. So at Fitbit, I run engineering, and this entails defining and building the experiences that our users get. And then we process this data that happens in our data centers uh, to try to make sense of this. What does this mean? What, what these numbers or these metrics mean in terms of how your body is feeling and how your body is uh, reacting to external factors and ensuring that this information is handled with the right privacy, security, and trust that our users expect, but also providing that reliability of this information to our users. And it goes back to the potential you saw with that first computer that ability to be superhuman. Do you think your career would have been possible without the innovations inside data centers? Not, not this career, for sure. Since the beginning of my career, I relied a lot on data centers in different incarnations. I mean, initially it was really the uh, digital uh, switches for telephony all the way to now the public clouds that we have. But it's, it's really the idea that you can have a, a concentration of compute in in the cloud or in, uh, that is in, in a place and then you can connect users to it and leverage it to get this information to users is, I think it, it helped me a lot. So going back to when you were younger, do you think that as a 14-year-old who first encountered a computer, you would believe what you're working on today? Oh no, absolutely not. I didn't even wildly imagine whether it is Fitbit, uh, the idea of having such a small device that you can put on your wrist and, and it measures your heart rate, or being able to run 
complex games or, or even watching video on any time of the day on on any screen using Chromecast. All of that is like, I would not have even imagined this. And of course, we were leveraging a lot the data center for that. Maj Bakar is the Vice President of Engineering at Google Health and Fitbit. If you want to learn more about building your career at a data center, click through the link in the show notes. Where the Internet Lives is produced by PostScript Media in collaboration with Google. You can subscribe to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you access your shows. And please give us a rating if you like the series. I'm Stephanie Wong. Thank you for listening. Thank you.